this thing, it automatically starts. We are now recording live from San Jose, Costa Rica. Costa Rica? Is it Costa Rica? Or Costa? I think it's Costa Rica. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense. I feel like it's one of those things where I called it Costa Rica for a long time. And I think it's because of word. Yeah, now that we're here, we just. Like, now that we're here, we, know we really the understand the correct enunciation <laughs> of these things. As a local. Yeah, exactly. As a local. So, yeah. I think this is super cool. This is the second country. Yep. The second country of a global vagabond. And we did a po- our first podcast in another. So, this is the third country oh, yeah, that we recorded we did, a podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we did the first podcast Cheers. in Toronto. Yep. Back in Toronto. Yeah, it's actually called uh, Toronto. It's not Toronto. But anyway, save that for save that for another <laughs> for another conversation on, a, on another day, a day of never. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that being said, we're here, Costa we're here. Rica. Just uh, finished the last episode we did. We would have been in Isla Mujeres, see, <laughs> back at Isla Mujeres, and then we hung out with Mark Nian. Yep. Sure did. Right after that, which was super fun. Yep. Mark made the day trip from Playa del Carmen to Cancun and then took the ferry out to Isla Mujeres. Isla Mujeres. And, and, I, and I, as we mentioned, we were going to come to Costa Rica about a week earlier. Mm-hmm. And then we decided we opted in to, uh, for the island life for an extra week just to decompress prior to embarking on more exploration. And then, you know, it was right at the goal line, right at the finish line. We were at the airport ready to jump on. Uh, we flew from Cancun to Mexico City, had a layover there. And then we got in line, we're all set, ready for Mexico City, going right, hand on my passport. And they're like, oh, where's your immigration form? I'm like, what? And they're like, you need an immigration form. Anyway, long story short is I uh, didn't keep a form that I needed to keep from when we entered Mexico. So Jonathan embarked on the plane. I sprinted around trying to get it in time, but alas, there was, not enough time, so I had to purchase a new immigration form, and then as soon, and as I'm I'm walking away from the from the terminal, realizing uh, I don't know I, and I don't have a credit card because I lost that, so I lost my credit card. I don't have an immigration form. I don't have a place to stay, and then I went to the customer support, and luckily they took my credit card information without the actual card, and I purchased a flight for the next morning. And then it all worked out. So I had a, a night in Mexico City to myself. And I stayed in this cool little hostel slash hotel near like a kilometer or so away from the airport. And I ended up going for a nice day by myself. I got some tequila. I went and found an outdoor gym and worked out. I read all of Alice in, Wonder- Alice, uh, Alice in Wonderland. And then I got up really early, drank a bunch of coffee, and then made my way back to the to the airport, where I successfully um, made it onto the flight. And then I got over here to Costa Rica. And then um, I was hoping they were going to detain you. Yeah, they were going to detain you again for another go. <laughs> yeah, I gotta get one extra. Like, what day. else? What else could you fuck up this time? No. So keep you from coming. But here you are, man. You made yeah. it. Yeah, you said you ended up in like Guatemala or something, and you're like, holy shit, how did I get here? Yeah, so I got the flight to Costa Rica for 8 a.m. Uh, yesterday, and I show up, I get through, I get through uh, the, the bag check, and I'm sitting in the terminal. I'm go look at the screen to see what my gate number is, and then I look at my flight number, and I look at the screen, and it says Guatemala. And I'm like, you got to be fucking kidding me right now. you got to be fucking kidding me. 
but luckily I, I actually left, left the airport, went back to the customer support and they ensured, assured me that I just had to stay on that flight and it'd be a quick layover in yeah, Guatemala, which I did. Right. So technically I went to three countries in one day, Jeez, two, three countries yeah, in one day. It's like whatever. <laughs> yeah, it's like not a really big deal wild. per se. Well, and yeah, then- that's uh, your LinkedIn bio right Yeah, <laughs> but it does remind me of uh, uh, Epictetus where, you know, obviously I'm not the most uh, best planner. Sometimes I, you know, let a couple things slip, but alas, so is the price of peace of mind sometimes which is a good diluted way of you know not not having everything together but it all worked out yeah we're now in costa rica yeah no i was gonna say from from that type of experience there's all sorts of lessons that For can sure. be learned and I, I love that immediately it was like okay well i'm gonna spin this you use the word alchemy i'm gonna spin this and yeah. turn a negative experience into a positive experiences which i really like that i liked how you just said you know i'm gonna i'm gonna have a fun day to myself i'm gonna do all the things that i love i'm gonna read and, and hang out and work out and uh, just make the most of it. And I, and I think, and I can appreciate that a lot. And, and. <laughs> don't lose the other it's lessons. It's an and instead of but. Don't right? lose the other lessons that are available. Right. And, uh, and uh, you know, my, my bad. Uh, I should have had, you know, some of the details sorted out um, around, you know, when I looked at the Can I Travel website, knowing the immigration form, that wasn't one of the things. Like when we came into Costa Rica, yeah. they didn't give us any forms. Yeah. So it's just maybe it's a, Mexico thing. It was just a Mexico thing. They took the immigration form as they got into the flight okay. and then they don't give it back. Yeah. So it was just to get out of the country, which yeah. is just a way for Mexico to make a little cash. You know? Yeah. I think uh, the, I was messaging James Winters cause I was posting on Instagram about the, the, the airport fiasco with Ian. He's like, what happened? And then he mentioned that the reason they do that is to track uh, smuggling uh, into the country. And they're very, on us. Very, very, <laughs> very common in the, uh, in in the u.s to mexico as a transit route yep. um yeah man so i'm glad i'm glad you made it You're yeah here. before we get you yeah because there was lessons but i remember as i'm walking away and it hit me over the head that like i have no plan what i'm in this random so you got nothing like, whatever and then i just i was like yeah i just i i, I was very proud of myself because yeah. um adversity doesn't make the man it reveals him to himself and very quickly it went from like the visceral reaction of like, fuck, I don't know what I'm going to do. This is chaos. It's going to be more money and time. I don't know how I'm going to do this, yada, yada. And then very, very, very quickly, at, like within the span of 10 seconds, it went from like fucking stress and anger to just peace and just accepting it and be like, all right, well, this is, this is what I have to do next. It reminds me a lot of Herman Hess from his book, Siddhartha, where he talked about- Such a great book. Such a great book. And- Herman Hess, one of the most biggest inspirations. This is me your spirit year. animal. He is, Herman Hess, <laughs> along with Alan Watts, he's my spirit animal, dude. But anyway, that's another story for another day. But one of the things it talked about is, in it, it talked about being like a rock falling through water. And you just go to the next, the next available thing, because that's the way the gravity works, with the rock falling through the water. So it's like, I tried to get on the flight, it didn't, and now on to the next thing. And then just literally no pause, just on to the next you just continue onto the path, even though the path wasn't the exact route that you had foreseen or would have liked it to be. Mm. If you don't mind backpedaling a minute, um, I thought it was really fun hanging out with Mark. Absolutely. That was cool. Yeah, that was Mark, a lot of fun, man. Mark came to Isla Mujeres right before we left for yeah. Costa Rica, and we got 
baked. We got we smoked a lot of weed. What it was the text message he sent you is I'm gonna bring I'm gonna I'm gonna bring enough weed for a prison sentence. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, it, 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 it was it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. Such a good time. We even recorded like an hour 75 minute podcast, yeah. but it's not even postable no, for for a number of reasons. Sweet. And it just made no sense to from an outside perspective. But it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And I was like a little it, which is funny because that was about the the fifth time where we were like, it's the last time we're gonna see you now, Mark. Because <laughs> he when we uh we were in Mexico and he was gonna go back to Toronto and then he decided to extend his stay. And then we had a couple different situations like that where when we thought it was gonna be the last night together and then there's just more and more and more. That's a great illusion. Yeah, it's like a great illusion. This uh it's something that I learned from doing the men's weekend in 2018 where they have a send-off where you you gather around and you yep. get excited and celebrate the fact that you made a fucking decision and that you're going to go do something really cool yep. and then everyone gets together gets excited and, and fires you up tries to help you set the context for when you go the way to look at it for when you go and we've got all this talk about whenever we we come around mark he's got ceremonial magic that he kind of dusts and infuses into our circle and our yeah. space and that's always fun yeah ceremonial magic it's it's really just kind of imbuing a, a certain process with meaning. So ceremonial magic, for example, like at a wedding, have everyone dress up and be on the different sides of the aisle and then the music and then the walking down the aisle. It's just a way of kind of, it's also a certain way of like creating positive intentions mixed with self-fulfilling prophecy, mixed with um, trying to cultivate almost a collective effervescence, which is something we talked about before, kind of getting everyone on the same state of consciousness or vibration, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, yeah, uh, the one, the thing I like about the way Mark does it is when we do this, uh, he, he calls it- um, Curating? Yeah, curating the experience, ceremonial magic. Is he, it's, I feel like every voice in the table gets heard which is what something that I really like about um, his presence and bringing mm -hmm. that forward is, is he says, okay, what's the intention you want to bring? Yeah. And he just totally backs off and, as soon, and he waits till you're done. Yeah. And then that, like you said, that meaning gets infused into the experience. That meaning gets infused into yeah. the space and everybody's ceremony of magic creates this cool smorgasbord of intent. And uh, we have fun, we have fun times with that. Yeah. Super fun. Yeah, we've got baked, so yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's super, always a good time. Super baked. The thing I love, uh, the thing I, I took away, I took a lot of stuff away from from hanging out with uh, you know some of your good pals, but Mark specifically, just like he, he has no problem turning the camera on because he has this like creative directive sense yeah. where he wants to uh, capture moments and experiences, and it makes you feel a lot more comfortable with having the camera on. Yeah, and it reminds me of just like Gary V style where. A Gary Vaynerchuk will do like the daily daily V and he'll have like a videographer documenting his entire day and that was really cool because rather than trying to like set up the camera have a script ready and then like create something innovative or uh, tell some specific story that you had intention of telling is you just allow the experience to play out yeah and then maybe you capture two minutes or three minutes that are interesting and Mark captured a bunch of like 15 second clips that were really creative and uh, I, I just, I like to see, it was cool to have a different dynamic involved for an entire weekend. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of in general makes me think about, I think it, it just being someone being an artist in general. And we read the denial of death last year by Ernest Becker. And he talked a lot about how an artist is someone who 
rejects the conventional sense of reality and then successfully creates some sort of interpretation of that world to, to justify it. And I think I've, I've even seen it in myself, taking videos or writing things at certain time where there's almost um, unendurable insufferableness of the way in which the current, uh, the way life is happening. Not even like, and when I say insufferable, not from a negative pain perspective, although it can be that, but more just a, a dullness. Like it's so dull, so mundane that you, we have to now imbue it with some sort of extra significance and capture it and put a filter on it and do all those kind of things to almost justify the moment because the moment isn't good enough on its own. And I see, I, I, I think there's like a balance where I've seen in myself where you need to, because there's a lot of value in that and in certain situations and alchemizing negative experiences and building off of certain things. But I even see it within myself where, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll post an Instagram story, not because there's anything in particular that I wanted to say, but manufacturing that so as to get the validation. It's something we've talked about before where seeing the people viewing your Instagram story and it's just a reminder that, oh, I exist. And there's almost, um, I think it's a remedy in a way for a certain discontent that underlies a lot of the more quote unquote mundane things about life. What do you think about that? How does that connect the, the, the denial of death? The denial of death, he talks about how the artist is someone who rejects the, how things are and like the, just as it is, and then imbues and creates like a filter and interpretation to kind of, elevate the moment into a certain way um i got yeah because i got your first point because one of the things i remember about denial of death is the difference between artists and people that are seen as like neurosis or like yeah the, <laughs> to, to build on that the only difference yeah. between and i even read the doors of perception by aldous huxley um while we were before we left mexico um, which is his experiences with psychedelics specifically mescaline and it talked about the exact same vein as ernest becker where the, the difference between the neurotic and the art artist is really only a matter of functionability and actually successful enrollment or successful. Um, it's creating an interpretation of reality that other people can get enrolled in and relate to and like or enjoy or appreciate. Yeah. Whereas the neurotic person who's suffering from neurosis or <laughs> psychosis is basically has that story, that different interpretation, but it's so wacky, unsuccessful, unsuccessful that no one else <laughs> can get to communicate it. it to other people yeah. where they can accept that as okay. You know, yeah. That's, that's art. Cause everything's abstract. Yeah. Like Seneca at the, at the end of, uh, on the shortness of life, life is as long as you know how to use it. He talked about some poet from like fucking ancient times saying he who knocks, um, a stable mind who knocks on the door of poetry is unanswered or something like that. And there really is that fine line between the neurosis and the, the, the creativity. So, yeah, not to, not to compare Martin to- No, no, and I'm, if anything, I was relating it more to, my, more to myself. It's successfully just, to how artists do it. Yeah. Which is uh, uh -huh. you know, something that I admire a lot. The other thing that I, that I took away 
um, from you know that that entire weekend experience where we were with him, and then when we left, we ended up being in Cancun for a couple extra nights. Uh, we may or may not have ingested more psychedelics. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. May or may um, not have. This yeah. is in theory. The intention for the intention for uh, January for me anyway was to <laughs> microdose uh, psychedelics. Uh, may may or may not have been the microdose psychedelics. And uh, one of the things that we I wasn't I didn't foresee was going to a different country and how that would impact that and not taking it with me, which makes sense because I wouldn't want to bring it across the border, which I didn't. Um, and so left it back in, in Mexico. But um, through that entire experience of being with Mark, um, you know, getting baked, having fun with you guys, and then going to Cancun again for a couple extra nights where we ingest more psychedelics. Man, and, that, was, so, that <laughs> was like such a wild card extra trip. Like 48 hours of just like sitting in meditation and just like vibing to music. Because I think we had like a, we had like a drink and went to this burger place that was nice yeah. in, in Mexico. I guess it was a chain because it was in Playa del Carmen yeah. and, and Cancun. And yeah. then we smoked a bunch of weed before and after. <laughs> and, and then that was that, that first night at that Airbnb. And then the next day, We're like, we, we took, can't take it with us. Yeah. So we might as well take it. So yeah. we took about a half a tab of uh, surgic acid diethylamide in theory. And, um, and we just, man, we yeah, just like, fucking chilled yeah. all day. Yeah. And doing like together, but then separate. Like we're both just chilling in the same room. I'm reading Aldous Huxley's Doors to Perception. You're drawing. I was drawing a painting. The paintings in that room. That was really cool. Really yeah. cool paintings. And like the biggest takeaway that I had from that ex that entire experience for me, and again the accumulation of hanging out with Mark and wrapping that whole experience together was just the importance of for me slowing down. And it's something that I've worked towards slowly. I've mentioned on the podcast before doing the happy body program where he talks about the science of exercise, nutrition, and relaxation. And so I've been incorporating relaxation into my routine and then plugging in the X factor. I've been listening to a lot of Joe Dispenza, which is something that uh, Gabriel recommended to me and a couple other friends recommended to me. Uh, there's a, a cool program that's Netflix like it's called Gaia. And uh, I know you and Mosin were watching some guy when Mosin was Alan here Watts. in Mexico, Alan Watts, Coming and then <laughs> Ram Das, things like that. And uh, I've been just watching some of Joe Dispenza's work, and it's all based off of the difference between essentially being in a in like a stress response, fight and flight, uh, and then transitioning your nervous system to uh, relaxation and this this rest and digest nervous system and. You know, a lot of the problems that I'm experiencing with my body, slowing down is really important. Feeling my muscles is really important, but also just knowing that I can't create anything unique. I can't create anything um, that's going to benefit the world if I'm coming from a place of lack, mm -hmm. if I'm coming from a place of scarcity, or if I'm coming from a place of stress. And so instead, doing the things that we've talked about, like meditation in the morning, yeah. and, f and like using that as kind of a pillar where we start with relaxation, we start with intention, we start with um, you know, this, this equanimity, this poise, this yeah. tranquility. And then from there, we get to create. Yeah. Because Joe talked a lot about how most people have uh, dozens of thousands of thoughts a day, all being virtually the same ones that they had the day before. So you create your personality based off your thoughts. And then we literally just live our life based off our conditioned past. Yep. 
or we live our life based off this predictable future. Mm -hmm. And we're always in one of the, one or the other, which is the known. And if you live in the known, then things don't change. You just literally keep living the same yeah, day or the same life over or over thoughts over and over and over again. Cyclical. And, and, and so, you know, that, that experience, uh, you know, the psychedelics, um, all of these influences we've been having, listening to you talk about poetry and meditation and, and Joe and it all come together at this, this moment where I was sitting there and I was doing this exercise for my glute where I was in this, uh, it's called a 90-90 a position where my legs are in this 90-90 position and I was working my glute and I was telling Dude, you psychedelics helped engage your muscles bro. <laughs> what did, the bro. Heck? Help my glutes activate and uh, I was sitting there and I was like literally like in awe I was like I haven't felt these tiny muscles in my glute activate for months and I was saying to Gabriel like I think I need to slow down more because even when I do happy body I'm doing movements where I'm kind of just like checking the box like I did it going through the motions and I don't think I'm going to get much better. And I don't think I'm going to improve very much if I keep doing it that way. So anyway, a huge takeaway for me was just to slow down, spend more time in relaxation, spend more time in rest and digest. Um, and then from there, I get to create. Yeah, it's not. From there, I get to make decisions. It's like to that point, it's not pr practice makes perfect. It's perfect practice makes perfect. Yeah, it's not more is better. It's <clears throat> better is better. Yeah. Cause you could do the same thing over and over again and it's not, it's not improving and you're just, cause we, and that, that's such a, it's such like an identification with a concept where it's like, I'm doing it. And when you do it, this is what happens. And then that's, it's almost like a, dis, it, it's real. It's collapsing the idea of something with the thing itself where it's we, because we get so caught up in words and symbols and for, in your case, doing these exercises, in the mind, it's, it tricks you into, because the default mode is like as easy as possible, less work, all those kind of things. The, the, the mental default is like, well, success is doing these things. And then it's not doing the things, it's feeling as though that the concept of doing the things happen, yeah. as opposed to doing them. Sure. Yeah, it's, uh, even to, to take it to like a very practical you know, application in your life is Jim Rohn talks about the difference between people who are task oriented and very yeah. busy and they are workaholics and they're trying to work 12 hours, 14 hours a day. They'll take two jobs um, versus people who are focused on being productive mm. and pr producing results. And so I'm like checking these boxes of like, I'm doing the exercises, but like, if I'm really honest with myself, yeah. it doesn't feel good. Yeah. Um, a lot of times I'm working through pain and over the course of months, I'm not seeing improvement. Yeah. the improvement that I want to see. Um, and so should I do the exercises? Yeah, I should do the exercises, but I need to find the groove inside of slowing down where I'm actually feeling the muscles, the way yeah. that'll put me in a position where two weeks from now I'll have made progress yeah. and a month from now I'll make progress. And part of that comes down to like hiring a coach and investing money in things that I care about. And I'm happy to talk about that. I'm sure but the big appreciating for sure. Uh, but one of the big takeaways from hanging out with Mark and that, that uh that psychedelic weekend <laughs> that's an interest i mean we didn't do oh, i guess he, he, we did he didn't but that's an interesting uh, mastermind dynamic because like the three of us the three plus <laughs> it's not joe dispenza, plus Ram joe dispenza Dallas, alan watts, alan watts all these there's, guys, all, there's so much Seneca, uh, all of it yeah it's always great to have a uh, it, one of the best life hacks that i've found you may be able to use if you're open to it is um 
finding friends that like to read a lot or finding friends that love to solve specific problems and then give them the problems to solve and give them the books to read. Like one of the things I like to do with Gabriel is just give him, give him good books. Cause like he will literally decipher it and he'll bring it down and then he'll only share the best stuff with me, which is what, what I What a like. perfect time to bring <laughs> up the fact that I talked about sending me the link, the password for your Gaia account, which yeah. you shut down because there's money involved. When once That's you- That's not why. Uh, That's it, not why. What is it? It's not about money. Oh. Well, I, I, first off, I said I'd pay, but yeah. I'm just saying, think about what you just- Save me the money. <laughs> I'm just saying, think about what you just said. Imagine how much I'd watch it and then you'd synthesize me. I, yeah, no, I get that. Don't worry, we'll get there. Bro. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, we gotta standardize before I <laughs> we'll optimize. I'll start with a oh. book before I get to recurring. I'm glad you mentioned that. Um, one of the things I wrote down is fun, fun to talk about is you sent me a was it over Facebook? No, it was on Instagram. It was like a, just a James Clear post about like oh. just just starting. Yeah, and then worrying about um, standardize before you optimize. You know, changing the variables of how it's going to work, and there's a concept called standardize before you optimize. AKA this microphone is in a cup and it's been in a cup since we started. So we haven't been optimizing, but it still works. It's doing its job. Um, But anyway, I was just wondering if you could share a little bit about um, what you've learned from James. I know you read Atomic Habits. I know you got a lot from that book. And so again, like just having people around you that are focused on personal development that want to get better when your environment gets better, you get better. Can you just, because like so many times, you've reminded me to just start or just to, to standardize. Um, and it's been super helpful for me. Anything specific you've gotten from him? Get paint on the canvas before you start trying to make a fucking Da Vinci, like uh, 16th chapel. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like imagine, imagine before you'd ever dribble the ball, you're like, I'm going to be like LeBron James. <laughs> and you're like, let me go for it. Like that's, it just, it doesn't make any fucking sense. Yourself, yeah. It doesn't make any sense at all. So we, it takes a long time to, to really get a habit in place. And if you set the goal too high, then when your body goes back to default, then it's something that's not possible. So the best way I like to exa- um, give the example for standardized before you optimize my personal experience is meditation. And I started off. It's a good one. Yeah, it it just it, just, it, helped, it helped me a lot. And once you hear it, it just it makes it like visceral resonating sense. So <laughs> most people they try and they're like they hear the the glory of meditation minutes. and they and they see the the infographic of the businessman. He's like, I meditate eight minutes a day so I can take over the world. And then there's a guru that says, if you meditate in an hour, you wouldn't have to. And it's this whole whole dynamic there and you're like okay well i hear meditation is the secret code so let me start meditating an hour a day and it may be by the way but that's another point for another conjecture anyway anyway so let's say you've never you don't really meditate and you're like i'm gonna meditate for an hour or let's say 30 minutes a day i'm gonna meditate 30 minutes a day you don't meditate yet and then you set out, and you're fucking excited. I'm gonna fucking master my mind and consciousness. And a couple days go through, and you did your 30 minutes. And then one day you didn't get the best sleep, and you're tired, and you're like, well, 30 minutes, that's, I can skip it for a day. And then the next day comes, and you're like, ah, fuck it, I don't really need to do it. I'm tired again. And then you don't do it because the goal is, is too high. He, James, he talks about, Making the goal, the new habit that you want to start, so easy that you can't fail. And after multiple iterations of trying to do 
10 plus minute day, um, 10 plus minutes of meditation per day. I, I listened to his book um, at the start of 2020 and he explained the concept of standardize before we optimize. And I was like, and he said, make it so easy that it's impossible to fail. And I, so what I did is I just did, I said five breaths when I wake up and five breaths before I go to bed, lying on my back. That meditating was like early breaths. 2020? Early 2020. And then five, five breaths. And then eventually got to, to 10 breaths. And then it got to a minute. And then I did five minutes. And then with the help of old Jonathan Andrews here in the, the circle program, I made a commitment to do uh, 10 minutes, which was enabled through that and also setting it up where it made sense to do that. And then I did that and then I did 10 minutes and then I switched to 15 minutes and now I'm up to 20 minutes. And then I have a, like I usually do at least 20 minutes and then sometimes I, I do more. So if there's a habit that you wanna create, break it down where it's so easy that you can't fail because the goal of uh, the, the success of why you would do meditation or another habit, for example, you're not going to see in the first couple of days really like uh, from a big scale anyway. Yeah. So just it's all, it's not that's about cool. Cool. how much value you get in the, in, in the terms of meditation. It's not about how much value you get out of five breaths per day. The value of the five breaths is getting the paint on the canvas and starting the habit so that you can work up to an amount that's sustainable and then see the results in the longer term. And you will get value from the five breaths. And you will get value from the five breaths. Yeah. yeah really great, man. And I think another point, worth making is not being too hard on yourself when yeah. you when you miss a day because i remember uh, i think johnny Lowe when we did the circle up ian mentioned that he committed to 10 minutes a day of meditation in circle up we gave men an opportunity to make a commitment on a daily discipline that they wanted to implement in their lives and johnny chose like push-ups or um, handstand push-ups or something of that nature <clears throat> and he was the only man that did uh the 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 actual 60 days but you, what what did you do like 50 days 55 days like something like yes that? yeah something like yeah what was it two yeah something like it was that. two months two months and, and like you know but you you miss a day and yeah. it's like that doesn't it doesn't make it the end of the world and that's what it's yes. not a positive habit don't miss twice which is a good thing where it just you have you miss a day you have the compassion all right well i don't string i missed a day i guess it's all off and that's where it's like setting this idea of every day as opposed to the actual tangible benefit of what you're doing. Are you, are you attached to a streak or do you want to do something that's beneficial for you? Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of um, hearing, uh, I never watched the show, but um, what's that comedian's name? Um, Give me some more context. Uh, Seinfeld, yeah, Jerry, uh, Seinfeld. Jerry, Seinfeld. Jerry Seinfeld. I never watched the show, but uh, what's that or... comedian on Seinfeld? <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, one of the things that I heard about the reason why he became such a successful comic is because he wrote a joke every day. That was his intention: was I will write one joke every day. Yeah. And uh, you know, knowing someone you know closer, our friend Abdu, when he was doing his stand-up sets he was writing almost every single day. And if you start with one joke, then the chances are that you're, you know, you might sit there for another couple of minutes and try to get another yeah, one. Maybe yeah. you do, maybe you don't. But Jerry's point was he had a giant whiteboard and it had the, the days of the week and it had the month outlined and he was creating a streak. And he said, make as long of a streak as you can. And, uh, but if you break the chain, that's okay. Just don't miss twice. Yeah. 
I think actually with, when it comes to daily disciplines, having a low threshold is until you get to a certain point and you can work up to it. Having a lower threshold is better because I think what you hit on there is if you just, if you set the bar low, five second, five breaths or one joke a day, then once you get started, it's usually just the, the prospect of what you have to do that you need to get over. And then once you've started, the inertia is already in the direction, the pen's in your hand, the words are on the, on the piece of paper. Yeah. It makes logical sense, if it makes sense to you, to just keep writing. Yeah. But it's the getting started that's, um, that, that's difficult. I agree. I agree because I've been working on the Circle Up book for you know seven, eight months now. And the hardest part is sitting down finding the time, carving the time out to sit down. But when I sit down, you know, when I get 10, 15 minutes into writing, you do get into a flow state where it's like, okay, this is making sense. And I stop checking the time, but it's getting myself to sit. Yeah, it, man, if you just said, I'll do one paragraph a day. Yeah. Like it's just, it, it's when it's, I have to write 10 pages a day because I read that Stephen King does 10, page, 50 pages a day for decades. I guess I have to start there. But that's not meeting where yourself at, where you're at. You need, like it, do it so it's like, you, there's no way you, couldn't his whole thing is you James clear is you want it to be easy you don't want it to be this like tough battle you want to work with the inertia work with yeah. your default mode network which is just lazy and doesn't want to do things and you just make it so easy that the prospect of fulfilling the discipline isn't difficult and then this balances back out to what we were saying where not just checking the box where even if you make the box so small that you check really try in that period of time too. Mm. Yeah, that's a Tim Ferriss, somebody that we both follow on his, we follow his podcast. He has the Tim Ferriss Show podcast. We talked about him before on the show. Um, what he says, when he's in book writing mode, he, his standardized for you optimize is two pages, which is about 750 words. Yeah. And when I started writing the Circle Up book, um, Tucker Max, who wrote the scribe book writing method, he said 250 words because like Tim Ferriss is a, you know, he's a professional author and that's his career. And for me, I was you know doing all sorts of other stuff and I was writing. And so 250 words was, was a, was a great place to start. And when I did that, man, it was just like so simple, man. Yes. I just focused on 250 words. There was no pressure on myself. I'm just going to sit down and get some ideas down. And then all of a sudden I go three, four, five pages in five, 10 paragraphs yeah. in, and it just tends to snowball. And then you get to a point where it's like, even for me, when I was talking about it, it was really useful, this standardized for your optimized method where I wasn't meditating before, but then I was doing, um, I was doing Sam Harris's the waking up app. And that was kind of my standardized was just following a guided meditation. That was a really good place to start. And yeah. I think the one you did really good was you started listening, you started meditating and you were listening to music because yeah. that was the way that got you started. Yeah. It was just easy to wake up in the morning, throw my headphones on and then listen to music that I really liked while I was breathing. And I was like, maybe I was meditating, maybe I wasn't, but I got in the habit of sitting down yep. right when I woke up and being conscious about my breath. Yep. And then I was trying uh, Sam Harris's stuff. And now I just like, I don't go a day because it, it doesn't make sense to go a day without meditating. It's enjoyable. And what's interesting, so as to demonstrate not only my listening comprehension, but not my <laughs> humility, to connect three things we've talked about so far, the meditation, Jerry Seinfeld, and Tim Ferriss. Jerry Seinfeld was recently on Tim Ferriss' podcast. Really? It was recently on Tim cool. Ferriss' podcast, which Tim, Tim's getting the guests. Yeah, He's he getting does. there. He and Jerry Seinfeld said the two things that are the most crucial to his um, 
like just overall happiness for everyone. Obviously you can do the, the joke a day and that's for like a specific craft, but just general well-being. He said, along with lifting weights, meditation, transcend, uh, transcendental. Jerry said that? Jerry said that, the two things, which something we've talked about before. Everyone we look up to and respect, almost all of them meditate. Yeah, I remember when- It's not a coincidence. I remember when Tim, Tim Ferriss again, Tim was doing the research for Tools of Titans, which was such a smart book because like he just interviewed some of the most famous popular people, high-performing people in the world, and then took what they said and the suggestions they made on the podcast and then turned it into a book and he's got a big team of people that aggregated all of this great insight and one of the major themes the biggest theme from tools of titans was that 80 percent of the high performers had some sort of meditation practice yeah and it was obvious at that point that i was like what am i fucking waiting for and the other 20 percent are just those people that have a fucking gene that they're super successful yeah. and you know what they probably work out and get into a meditation yeah i was gonna say they, you know what i mean some they do practice. some sort of flow state activity yeah. that working out achieves the same running or ends. rowing or something like that yeah, that's yeah. very repetitive yeah yeah i remember even when i was listening to the podcast with arnold schwarzenegger and Tim yeah. Ferriss. this was years ago this was like maybe 2017 2016 and arnold said he did transcendental same said the same technique so jerry seinfeld said he said transcendental meditation did transcendental meditation for a year and then he said after that he stopped and for years afterwards he was getting the benefit that he experienced over the mm. course of the year of the transcendental meditation yeah that makes sense i mean it probably brings a certain level of presence to whatever activities especially maybe a, a recurring one um and then the tying back with the, the i think the transcendental part is very important for meditation but just even more meta and at large. <laughs> oh no. Because, <laughs> uh, as I said, I was reading Aldous Huxley's Doors of Perception, his experiences from mescaline and psychedelic experiences. And it talked about the human desire and urge to transcend whether your personal bodily reality and to be more than what you, what you think you are. And, it, which is interesting because we've talked a lot about psychedelics and I remember like maybe 10 minutes ago, just in this conversation, I said, I literally said something about psychedelics and then I censored myself out from saying fuck. And I said, heck instead, which I think in reflection shows that I think there's still the level of tabooness around psychedelics, but it's worth, I think any and all risk to, to discuss it because it, because I think it's that important. Um, and then as a society, we've kind of shut down, the like from rules and laws uh, from the psychedelics in that space, but we've enhanced things ironically as we're drinking alcohol. Yeah, it's but, like drugs and alcohol. Mm -hmm. Which is the saying drugs and alcohol is That's akin to saying pizza and food. <laughs> it, it, because, and the thing about alcohol, although great and in the right context and not within too much of a surplus, because I'm saying this as we're drinking it, beer is massive. It is more of a a conscious, like if there's a spectrum of unconsciousness to consciousness, wherever you are on it, oftentimes I think alcohol brings you more towards the, the pull of, of unconsciousness. Whereas something like a psychedelic brings such great consciousness. And he talked about how for like thousands of years, certain 
ancient tribes have used as a rite of passage psychedelics. And he said, you know, some of the first foreigner like uh, developed world from like early in the 1900s, he went and observed these practices with these tribes. And unlike alcohol, where someone who's very inebriated on alcohol, they lose all their motor, motor functions and they're just less there. He was like, all these people were doing these dances and doing instruments, which yeah, is getting rhythmic and getting rhythmic. And it's actually bringing greater consciousness, which <laughs> um, 2019, Jonathan and I did ayahuasca and we did it at this um, Brazilian Portuguese sect of Catholicism. <laughs> called Santo Daime in, in, in this church with guys and girls on each side. Yeah, and, and the elder, and that's my point around the music. The elders for hours were playing music and it. they didn't miss a goddamn note. I couldn't believe it, man. They were so fired up. Oh man, what a good time. Yeah. I remember, I mean, while we're talking about it, the, the funniest part of that experience for me was, and I think we have plans to do ayahuasca soon. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that. In the theoretical we're sense. Gonna, yeah, exactly. We're gonna head to Peru in the near future and check that out. But one of the, fun the funniest parts of that experience for me was at they, the way they separated the, the ceremony was it was exactly what, what Ian was saying was about um, music and we were reading these Portuguese hymns, Portuguese, Brazilian Portuguese hymns. And we were like you know, part of the process of making this collective effervescence like you described and we're reading it and, and I can read it I can read it fine like I you know I'm, I'm used to Italian and French and things like that so I was trying my best to go along with it and and we did the ceremony in three different dosages of the ayahuasca and every time we did it we would sing hymns and then we would meditate yeah so just to build out the context to so there so guys and girls on each side everyone's dressed in white the first thing we do is we, we drink the biggest portion of ayahuasca and we all come back, the elders play music. Yeah. And then as Jonathan described, all of us had a book in front of us, which was like Catholic hymns in Portuguese yeah. as we're all singing together. And then followed by 45 minutes or so of that. Yeah. Followed by then a 45 minute meditation in the dark. Yeah. And then we did two, two rounds, rounds of that, two more rounds of that. Yeah. And then as Jonathan's hinting at, it, progressively got more and more psychedelic psychedelic <laughs> yeah it was higher and higher yeah and as i was getting higher it was just you know from the biggest takeaway from that experience is how um how you and i this combination of just like seeking adventure together and being willing to be open-minded and being willing to try new things and being willing to explore consciousness and explore community and the, the funniest part, and this is what I always remember about the experience, was, you know, it's like, <laughs> we just took the third serving, the guys are jamming. And, they're, like, they're very serious about this. They like, really they're, they're like a group, and, like, they're very they're sweating. They're very like, in earnest. Like, they're taking this as a very, very serious, very serious practice. And they do it, like, twice a month, so I don't know how they do that. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, he was right. They took it very serious. very serious. They were by the books. They were reading these hymns, and it was in unison. And I was trying my best throughout the experience to read and follow along. High as shit, trying to read Portuguese. And the third, the third round was high, uh, high as hell. And I'm reading it, and uh, I look over to Gabriel. He's not reading. He's just like, <laughs> he's just in the clouds somewhere. Who knows what's going on? I was trying to read before that. It wasn't working, <laughs> so I gave up. So I'm reading it, and then all of a sudden, the the, the actual words on the page lift off the page, and they start twisting and like moving around and i'm like man i can't read this at all and i look at gabriel and i'm like bro i can't read it dude and he looks at me he takes the book 
he flips it upside down, he taps it, and he's like, same shit. <laughs> and the book Dude. is upside down, and I'm looking at it, yeah, and I it just was. can't help but laugh my ass we off. Were and I explode. We were like dying, man. I exploded, and all these people from the other side, and we've got, um, what, do you remember what his name was? Uh, Bruce. Bruce. <laughs> Bruce. We got Bruce. He's playing the guitar. Look over at me. Say, what are you doing? And the the main woman, who was definitely the one that was in charge, she looked over at me and she was like, had this like, like this, couldn't believe, just like very very upset, just like us. so pissed that we I were disrupting. That we're, yeah, we were definitely disrupting. But I just like couldn't help it. I just exploded in laughter. The the thing was called for Maisies or for Maisies. That was the yeah. The was, we everyone was chanting for Maisie, for Maisie, for Maisie. I'm like, bro, I can't read it, dude. He grabs dude, it, flips it upside tap, down, pause. Same, same shit, shit. And dude, it was just oh my hit God. so nice it, it just it, it, was it was so spontaneous it was, perfect. it was just like a spontaneous it was like out of thin air <laughs> it, was like, it was like in a serial ethereal presence <laughs> but anyway that was a hilarious experience and yeah i mean after that i went a little self but um yeah we ended up getting home and it was fine uh so thank you matt for hooking us up yeah. with that ayahuasca experience we did get home we did get home but i was i was having quite the quite the negative trip so we are all in this church and i threw up jonathan didn't throw up and then i'm i'm getting a little paranoid and i'm like i'm gonna be stuck in this forever i'm trying to read (laughs) i'm trying to read this book and literally i can't even follow a thought and it's just like i'm i'm in this thought forever and let me rewind on that night for a sec because there's a certain portion of it that i thought was quite amazing so at one point i went to the washroom and i literally just went away to like try and get away there was so much stimulus so much noise with the singing and i was sitting on the toilet just sitting there i just peed and i was just sitting there and i looked at my phone and it was let's say it was 10 p.m i looked at the clock it was 10 p.m and i'm like all right i'll put my phone away and i'm sitting there and i'm like i'm not gonna look at my phone for a while and I start going down all these different rabbit holes of thought, like 15, 25, 30, 100, infinite realms of different rabbit holes of thought. And it felt like forever. And I was like, all right, maybe I should check my phone. I was like, no, 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 I shouldn't check my phone. I should wait. And then I felt, and then I waited what again felt like forever, forever, forever. And then I look at my phone again and it's 10 p.m. It's not that's even 10 01. It was still 10 p.m. So I honestly, I was like, oh my fuck. <laughs> that's doom. No. That's doom on setting. <laughs> doom on setting. <laughs> You're like fading into the distance. Like, yeah. no. Anyway, I end up going to the, to the, to the sink. I, I don't want to throw up, but at some point I throw up and then just like throwing up and I'm like <laughs> gasping and just like dry, dry heaving. I go upstairs, I throw up more. People are everywhere throwing up. There's certain helpers helping out. Yeah. And eventually, most people had thrown up, and it seemed like it, it was over. Everyone's talking to each other, and it wasn't over for me. <laughs> it wasn't over for me. And this that guy comes. <laughs> yeah, John, Jonathan's like, a heavyweight for psychedelics. And we get into an Uber, and this ride home felt like eternity. And the way it played things in my head, because everything was happening in the moment, my brain was, re- we had dro- driven by certain landmarks, certain like checkpoints of the path home. And it recurred the same ones at different points over and over and over again. So it felt like I was gonna be in this car ride forever. And it was cold, I think it was like March. And then I get out of the car first, Jonathan stayed back, he had a, our other friend who was organizing a different ride home there. But I get to our back porch to our door. 
And I'm like, all right, I got to get in. I go to the door. I don't have the key and it's locked. And I go to where we have the hidden key and it's not there. And I literally didn't have a jacket. I was cold outside and I'm in the state of like forever. So I'm in the state of like cold and discomfort. And I'm like, this is never going to end. And it felt like that. And then eventually Jonathan came in, went downstairs, and then I'm in my bed and I'm just checking what feels like eternity over and over again per minute, just forever. And then eventually it stopped. And then I was like, I started touching the walls and shit. And I was like, and I was like dancing. I was like, yes, let's go. And I was just so happy to return home. Yeah. 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 For you were reading Plato and uh, Socrates. And he was saying, on the other side of pain is pleasure. On <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> God. On <laughs> God. God. I remember because, like, you know, it, it blows my mind that you decide to continue to have psychedelic experiences after the ones, <laughs> after the ones you've described to me. It's called courage. Because I've only had I've only had positive. I'm sure one day I'll have a bad trip. Um, not going not going wood. But um, I just remember. I know when something's up when we're together because like we were just like packing our bags and I you know I was I couldn't throw up I tried to throw up I wasn't throwing up and I was like all right I'm basically ready to go um but I was gonna like mix and mingle and talk to people and say goodbye and thank them for the experience you know apologize to the lady for laughing in the middle of her ceremony and <laughs> and I just remember you coming up to me like, all right but we gotta get out of here <laughs> we gotta get out of here <laughs> and I was like okay yeah, yeah yeah no problem no problem and I knew something was up so I was like okay let me let me call an uber and I went to put my backpack on and put my shoes on before grabbing the Uber, which was a mistake. Because uh, two minutes later, you came up to me, bro, we got to get out of here. Is the Uber here yet? And I was like, uh, hold on, man, one second. Um, so I finally called the Uber. And then it was just like that reoccurring over and over until we actually got into the car. And then the whole ride, I was like kind of peeking on my shoulders to make sure you're good. But uh, yeah, I'm glad we, glad we made it home safe. Glad we had a good time. Um, overall positive <laughs> experience i have a i have a boomerang of us walking to the church where we were like ian said we were in all white and so we had these like white sweatpants that were fucking oh, hilarious yeah. and it's so funny how how they they look so jokes um but overall fun day great day yeah. that the the fact that so one one thing that's worth talking about because we were watching was it on netflix we were watching just like a, a documentary about LSD and the psychedelics, yeah, yeah the psychedelics strange and, trip or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and how to how to do it effectively and how to get the most out of it, how to be safe and set up the set setting properly. One of the things you need to keep in mind is is you definitely should never drive, never. And you should stay away from cars because it distorts your reality. And the other thing worth mentioning is you should definitely not have anything really important to do the next day. Uh, yeah. I remember we rolled into work and everything I've heard about uh, ayahuasca and different psychedelic experiences, you know, we were very inexperienced at the time, but um, everything I've heard is about, you know, creating space to kind of get, you know, <laughs> the integration, the, reintegration. That's the, that's the word is the reintegration where you can meditate on it, journal on it. Don't, don't do anything too strenuous. And we went right back to work the next day, which is probably, which is funny because mistake. the first time we did acid and then the only times we did ayahuasca and DMT, we did it when we had work the next day. Yeah, so. So learn from our mistakes, yeah, do clear that. out the next day. Don't do that. And you know, just to kind of, I don't know if you have any other points you wanna make on this on this ayahuasca trip, um, but just psychedelics in general, because I had a phone call right now because I've got a really cool opportunity in the mental health space and I'm gonna to continue to make um, you know, room for myself to deliver keynotes, to deliver workshops about mental health, whether it's for young people or whether it's for, for men, for both, uh, for businesses. 
And one of the things that came up was, what are you most excited for about the future of the mental health space? And the first thing that came to my mind was uh, the efficacy of integrating psychedelics into the mental health research. And I know that it's not something that I can talk about on this call. Um, that's a good just well, it's just in terms of the brand that I'm representing and honoring the fact that they're giving me the opportunity, honoring the fact that they have expectations of the way that I'll approach it. But in it. terms of talking to them, what was your number one goal for 2021? Uh, just slow down. Well, I thought the other, well, the other one, honor the truth. Oh, yeah, yeah. And yeah, I, I just think yeah. there's like... Well, I mean, I mean, but the, the truth, there's a spectrum. I, of course. Right? Oh, I just spectrum, mean... So I'm I, excited about a lot of things. I just so. mean it's, it's in terms of standardizing before you optimize, there was, you know, if we did this if we started this podcast two years ago we would not be talking have, it wouldn't have made we would sense. not be talking we would never have this. done this so we're standardizing before we optimize in terms of the conversation because yeah. i think we, we got to a point where it's like the benefits of what we've seen with psychedelics is so great that if your brand as your if your understand if your mission in life is to help you with mental health to, to, to act like psychedelics are not part of the equation, which is why you've kind of moved this direction, would be just like not talk, talking, or we're gonna fight dehydration and not talk about water. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I think there's, there's room for figuring out uh, a way of approaching enrolling. it that's enrolling and that is palatable for, for folks that have never talked about it or experienced it and likely have a very negative, yeah. um, you know, connotation or a lot of taboo around the subject. So there's definitely a way to approach it. And but there's also a lot of other things that I'm excited about that I could definitely talk about. But uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to bring that up is because um, one of the things I am excited for is the research around the default mode network. And you brought that up earlier today. Yep. And it activates really heavily and it stimulates when people have anxiety. And anxiety, I remember you reading this book on, on love. What was it? Uh, the, the Art of Loving by Eric Fromm. Yeah. And he talked about all anxiety stems from a, a feeling of separateness, of there's everything else and then you, with the illusion that they are not of the same, which goes to like an Alan Watts quote talking about how you did not arrive on this earth like a bird arriving on a branch, but you arrived like the branch growing. So in the same way, they're an apple tree apples, the earth peoples. So instead of thinking that you are something that comes into this world, you are rather something that comes out of this world. Yeah, you grow out of it. Yeah. And with the default mode network, like you were saying, in terms of the art of loving is this feeling of separation. And when people have anxiety, there's an intense feeling of separateness from other people. Yep. And so the, what um, some of the ways that that manifests is um, in their body language, they don't make eye contact, they avoid physical contact. And again, back to Alan Watts, one of the things Alan talks about is your eyes is just a bridge to the universe and your skin doesn't separate you from the world, but connects it's actually you. the bridge that connects you to the world. And so what's observed in the psychology research around the default mode network is it's activated and stimulated when people have anxiety. And one of the benefits amongst many of consuming psychedelics in the right set and setting often uh, observed and now clinically where you can do it guided with somebody that is experienced uh, as a guide for psychedelics is you, you find that their default mode network tends to quiet yeah. and it, it stops being so active and stimulated. 
and you start to feel this sense of connection. Um, if anyone is in the in the space of researching or learning about psychedelics, one of the things that they often talk about is this afterglow. Mm-hmm. And how um, a couple episodes ago, Ian talked about John Hopkins and the research that they're doing. And one of the things that they found is these people who took one psychedelic experience, it was guided experience, where they had clinically, um, on the scale of of depression, clinical depression, depressive symptoms that were clinically observed, um, reduced their symptoms to a normal level for up to six months, yeah, which and is totally up, like groundbreaking. Up to six months, like it, the majority of them were up to six months, but a lot of them even even more. So think about this this afterglow, yeah, and it just makes so much sense. I mean, I'm 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 not too deep of a conspiracy theorist, and I don't want to get too too deep yeah. into it on this show. But like the when I was when I was in high school and I experienced depression, um, one of the things that I was taking was Prozac. I was on um, antidepressants, and you take it every day. Mm-hmm. And it's expensive and you take it for uh, Canada is not as bad because you know, we have some health coverage and, um, but in, in the States you can just imagine how much of an arm and a leg people would be paying yeah. to help their kids out with these antidepressants. Uh, I'm not saying there's not ever a time and a place for this, but, but every single day and it totally numbed me of any feeling at all. And I, I took it for years. And I remember on this podcast, I talked about a coming of age for me as a man was in 2018 when I did my men's weekend the thing that I admitted was that it was hand in hand with my very first psychedelic experience. Right. Yeah. That's a good in May, 2018. I did my very first psychedelic experience in the, in a beautiful set and setting. It was a private hotel room with a friend who uh, I really love and appreciate for, for guiding me through that experience. Um, and then I did my men's weekend a couple weeks later and it totally changed my life. And I just felt this sense of uh, connection and a sense of that I had choice and a sense of I was responsible for my life and I could make the decision that I wanted to make. And contrasting that to the pharmaceuticals, um, these people took one psychedelic yeah. trip, one guided trip. Yeah. And for months and months and months, that was the only thing they had to take and erase their symptoms. And the reason why that is, is going back to what I was saying by, uh, about Aldous Huxley around the transcendental experience also you could call it a mystical experience is that we we get so stuck in our stories and us getting stuck in our stories is probably somewhat in alignment with the default mode network and we mistake our story and our interpretation of reality with reality itself and what these compounds these medicines these drugs psychedelics do is they help suppress the default mode network they help collapse the stories that you're living in and basically to um, eliminate temporarily your paradigms for the way in which you, you, the lens in which you see the world. And then as we know, um, there's the the old quote, when you change the way you look at the world, the world you look at changes. And whether we want to admit it or not, we're wearing a lens. Like I'm wearing glasses right now and I can see clearly. And when I take them off, I can't. When I change it, it it literally changes. That guy had those pink glasses. Yes. Put them on on and and it's pink. Shit, totally different world out here. But the thing with, or I shouldn't say but, the thing about the psychedelics is if you're always wearing the pink glasses and you've never taken them off, you think the world is pink. And then when you take them off, you realize that isn't, that isn't it. And that goes the, back to Joe too, with well, like living this condition pass over and over and over again. Yeah. 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 The break the habit of being yourself and the, what Jonathan was saying before around 
we, we fall into these cyclical patterns of the same thing reoccurring, like you can probably think about in your life, where certain challenges that you've overcome, unless you've addressed the root issue of it, it's gonna continue to manifest in your life in different ways. Yeah. And uh, I think the power of the, the, the psychedelics is it allows you to, to take off the glasses, um, so to speak. And one of the ways I equate it to is if in regular day you're wearing a backpack and it has a whole bunch of weights in it and you walk around, but you've always worn it. You don't even notice it. It's just there. And then if when you take psychedelics, you get to take the backpack off and you feel light and it's different. And now the psychedelic experience will end, even though it seems like it might not, like it did for me a couple of times. But eventually the psychedelic experience ends and you have to put the backpack with the weights back on. And even though you still feel it, that it's there, you know that that isn't the only reality that exists. And it broadens your horizons of what is possible. And that horizon broadening is the transcending the backpack, transcending yourself. And you realize that there's more there. And there's that, that sense of connection, which is the direct opposite of that sense of separation. Mm -hmm. And that sense of separation is the source of that anxiety and all the different ways in which that anxiety manifests. So, it, it, I mean, obviously it can be done in the, in the wrong way, but I think Definitely it's, can be done. of course it can be done in the wrong way, but you know what? You can drink too much water and yeah. you can drown. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of the first time I ever drank alcohol. Yeah. First time I ever drank alcohol, I think I got, was fed 12 shots of all different types of alcohol. And, you know, I could have, I could have said that, you know, alcohol is not for me, or yeah. I could have just realized that I abused it and didn't take it in an effective way. Cause I was throwing up and vomiting. And you hear about the person who does like, multiple like a whole bunch of hits of acid the first yeah. time they ever do it no it's like 20 20 hits <laughs> um the other analogy i'm not sure if, if this was also in um how to change your mind yeah talking about the old sled yeah i was i was uh, on a stage last year at not 2020 it was 2019 at the p2 i was on a stage uh in 2019 and i had an opportunity to talk about uh an event and how it changed my life and the difference it made for me and I kind of equated it without mentioning psychedelics, but I equated it to what the psychedelic experience can be like for people. So Gabriel mentioned breaking down paradigms and breaking down realities of the way you look at the world, the way you look at yourself. With psychedelics, um, imagine you're on a ski slope. If you like to snowboard, imagine you're snowboarding. And your life and this conditioned past is based off of your thoughts and your actions and they develop into habits and these habits in the way your brain works turns into these grooves these networks of synapses that connect and they they occur in the exact same way and so your life turns out to be you skiing down the slope in these exact same grooves over and over and over again and they get deeper and deeper and Jim Rohn I was listening to Jim Rohn this morning about he was talking about the, the the bonds and the chains of habit they become like these thick wires that you can't break and so there are these deep grooves or these thick wires you can't break the chains of habit are too weak to be felt until they are too, too strong, strong to, be, to broken. be broken and then what ends up happening when you when you take the psychedelic experience when you have the psychedelic experience like like Gabriel mentioned is it, it removes these these paradigms and or taking off the glasses it's like fresh powder falling onto the slope filling in those grooves and then you get to see the world in a new way and you get to make decisions about how you're going to live your life. You can literally go in a different direction. You can literally go in a different direction. 
And so, you know, this, this podcast, the purpose of this podcast is definitely not to, um, you know, be a podcast about, this but, is a psychedelic this is, advocacy. This podcast. is not a psychedelic advocacy podcast. It's not not. However, it's not just that. however, um, I just like you can't you can't omit the benefits that you've experienced. Yeah. And you know these are just anecdotal experiences from us, but there's there's research happening in the psych uh, in the scientific community about the efficacy of these compounds. Friends and family we know have have had their lives transformed and their lives changed. Um, one of the best things that is happening with this research is people who are dying and have, um, you know, terminal illness, erasing death anxiety and getting rid of their death anxiety. So just, again, that's not what the purpose of the podcast is, but we talked about ayahuasca and it was worth mentioning and debriefing on some of these experiences. Yeah. And I was going to say, so as to not belabor the point, but let's beat a dead horse. So as to belabor the point we have so far when it comes to psychedelics, we have the analogy around the, 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 the pink glasses. We have the analogy of the weighted backpack. We've already, Jonathan just mentioned the analogy of the, of the sled down the, the snowy hill. And just so as to cap it off, I'll give one more analogy. And Tim Ferriss, who is a huge, obviously podcast person, huge person in the personal development and learning space, widely respected, is really one of the pioneers in terms of advocacy for, for psychedelics and psychedelic assisted therapy and, and research. And one of the things he um, equated psychedelics to is think about, you know, when you watch one of those medieval times movies and there's a blacksmith and they take a sword and they put it in that fire and that piece of metal and then they take it out and then they hammer it, right? So the way your brain is, your personal reality, your personality, who you are, who you think you are, is that regular piece of metal and it's very sturdy and hard. What psychedelics allow you to do is it allows to take that base and it puts it into that fire where it turns all red and then you can take a hammer and you can shape it into something else. Getting out of the fixed mode, the conditioning, the paradigms, the, the indoctrination of, of what you are, or rather, what you think you are. And then so as to provide the balanced, somewhat balanced opinion on this, obviously we're not um, completely objective and we're quite biased in favor of, but as Tim Ferriss says, you know, it can be when that metal of who you are with the psychedelic state is now more malleable and, and can be shaped, it can be shaped in the wrong way. And oh, you can yeah, have yeah, bad yeah. experiences. And that's where the set and setting has become, uh, becomes important because it can be, it can throw you off and you can change something in, in maybe a way that it isn't um, um, beneficiary to your, to your goals. So I think the, not only the advocacy for psychedelics is important, but really caveating that by saying the, the proper, the proper use of, of psychedelics, not to just, um, willy -nilly. yeah, don't just take them. Like, I'm going to get fucked up because you will, you probably, get <laughs> you, you, probably uh, you probably will. What time's your call? Uh, six minutes. So, okay. Yeah. Just one last idea I wanted to share. Share it out. Is around um, the law of sowing and reaping. Yes. And it seems to be totally disconnected from most things we've talked about today. Um, but uh, I, I, I think going back to some of the things we talked about with James Clear and standardized for you, optimize, getting started, taking on new disciplines, taking on new habits is um, Ian and I both listen to the same audio. It's, it's called like the, 
all-encompassing Jim Rohn guide uh, yeah, yeah. on Audible. It's like a, like another 10-hour complete audio, library. The complete library, like 10 hours of audio of Jim Rohn. And he, and he, ha- he shares two ideas back-to-back. One is the law of sowing and reaping, and the other one is discipline. And he talks about how every discipline action has multiple rewards, and then he ties it back to the law of sowing and reaping, where they're interconnected. And he says that uh, when you have discipline in your life, it's just the way things are. It's just the way the setup is, is that if you take discipline action, if you do what we talked about with James, where you put paint on the canvas and you start and you develop these habits, whether it's meditation or joke writing or whatever it is that you're excited about, the rewards get multiplied. Like you, you sow the seed, but you always reap more than you sow. His biggest thing on that is, to that point, is you get more than what you put into it. He says, for every dollar that you put into your personal development, it'll come back tenfold. And Jim Rohn, who Jonathan introduced me to back in 2014, I heard that and I thought it was bullshit. Now, I thought, you know, you you invest something, you're going to get something back. It'll probably be more than what you put in. But I didn't think it'd be tenfold. And not only in my life, and we can relate to this, not only is what you put into it tenfold, it is beyond the point where it's not even where the abundance of what you're living in is beyond needing to quantify it to what you put in because it enables you to pretty much do what you want and it ties back into a lot of the the conversations you said everything's interconnected. (laughs) yeah we've had a lot of conversations on this podcast about uh busting loose from the money game when Wilson was here in mexico and we were jiving on those ideas where in that book he talks about every dollar you spend recycles and creates more money and you know to to that point of investing in yourself and personal development the you know i was having a conversation last night over text about a guy who was you know trying to pursue a woman and i said don't focus on that i said the having so the outcome that he wanted which was attracting this girl will always come if you focus on becoming more mm-hmm. the becoming more the investing in yourself the, you know, Jim puts it, you can always have more because you can become more. Yep. And that's the challenge. That's the challenge. That's the challenge. And so I just said, you know, you've got the, he's got the totally the wrong focus. Instead of the having, the focus on the becoming. And when you focus on the becoming, that's when these disciplines really kick in. That's when taking action really kicks in. That's when you start living the life of your dreams, which we are out here doing in is it Costa Rica or Costa, Costa, Rica. Costa, Rica. Costa Rica? Out in Costa Rica. And uh, just to kind of, you know, I'll, I'll, I'm happy to, to share more about Law of Soaping and Reaping. And I know Gabriel's got a lot to show, share on this as well. It ties into the Law of Averages is uh, we are going to be taking uh, about a week. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In terms of having a, a t- uh, um, having like a last night, we're going to do that and split up for uh, a week because we fucking hate each other. Yeah, I can't no. believe it. <laughs> no. How do I put myself through this? <laughs> uh, I'm sure we're going to go to dinner or something. Yeah, but, no, we definitely will. Yeah, we'll sure. uh, meet yeah. up. We're in San Jose, so it's yeah. small. It's yeah, like we just thought it would make sense to have people. a little break. Ma- makes sense. Yeah, one of my, one of my favorite uh, personal development mentors said, the biggest thing missing in relationships, the biggest thing missing in marriages missing. is missing. Is that they don't miss each other anymore because yeah. of quarantine they're spending all their time together and so i mean we've been what like literally attached to the hip almost spending every day for every like day together 75 for nine, almost nine, nine every, weeks or something, yeah, like something like that. Like, and not to mention the all, all of course 
<laughs> Literally every day of 14 plus the 30, 30 days yeah. at West. So in the past where I could just go back to my parents' house and we'd hang out, we'd you know, be at par for four or five a day. You know, we'd been literally together and touch together. Yeah, we need to remember how awesome each other are. It is, yeah. yeah and that's what we had when we did the, the LSD the, the other day. We were like, man, we maybe. need the time apart just to remember, maybe, theoretically. <laughs> just uh, just to uh, remember, like, oh, yeah, because you get used to it and you take it for granted. And then we're like, oh, there's a reason why we spend this much time together. Yeah. But when you spend all your time together, you forget why you that forget. is. Sure. So um, we need a little forgettery. Before we get back to the memory. Yeah. And so we will, yeah. Do you want to do like a, uh, an individual podcast and then we'll, we'll both post those and then we'll post the podcast together? Or do you, anyway, we'll figure out the we'll, we'll figure out all the details. Anyway. Thanks for tuning in. From Costa Rica Adventures. with love. <laughs> from Costa Rica with love. Peace. Peace.